If you'll bow your heads and pray with me, let us pray together. Oh, Father God, what joy is ours to gather in your presence and to behold our God seated on a throne. Father, we thank you for the work of your son, Jesus, who's allowed us access to that throne, who's allowed us to come and to worship and adore you. Father, we thank you for the Holy Spirit that you have given to us as your children that reminds us that not only are you to be adored, but you adore us. You love us. It reminds us what Christ has done for us. Father, we ask that you would send the spirit of your son into this room so once again we can come through the preaching of your word and we can adore Jesus as our redeemer, as our Lord and Savior. Father, would you come with such power that you would speak through a broken sinner, that God, you would remove my spirit of fear, and that you would give me a spirit of power and a spirit of clarity, and a spirit of truth in the gospel, so that every one of us may be able to walk out of here knowing that we have a Redeemer that lives, and knowing that His name is Jesus. God, come and speak. Speak to each one of us. May you receive glory. May we receive joy and challenge. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. On this Super Sunday, we have good news. And not just on this Sunday, but every Sunday, we have good news. And the good news is this. It's what God has done for us. Listen, the good news is what God has done for us so that sinners like us, broken people like us, that we could be brought into God's presence. Isn't that good news? That God has bridged the gap that exists between a holy God and, and sinners like us through the righteousness of Christ, through the blood of Christ. That is such good news. Well, here at Orangewood, we wanna, we were trying to build a community around that good news. That good news that there is a God and he loves. There is a God and he rescues. And, and we are trying to build a community, a family around that reality. In worship and community groups and all that we do, we're hoping that that good news will build that community around that. But we also want to reach our community with that good news. That's why God has called us here. With the good news that, that God is no longer angry with us. With the good news that Jesus is a redeemer that lives. That is the good news we hope that God will use to have reach our community with that great news. This week, so proud of you. This week, there are two events, an individual one, more of a corporate one, that's trying to reach this community with good news. Did you see the paper yesterday? Did you see that Orangewood's own Dr. John Gamichia made the front page? And not for something scandalous, thank the Lord. You know, John Gamichia could do it. I mean, John Gamichia did what he has done for several years, something called dentistry from the heart. God has gifted this man. The guy loves dentistry, so pray for him. No, no, he loves dentistry. He's good at it. But he knows that God has given him this gift. And he knows that God wants to use him to reach a community with this gift. 
So for those who can't afford uh, to see a dentist, for those who can't afford to have their teeth fixed, they could come and show up at his place. Our own Butch Doyle cooked burgers for all those who waited. Uh, we also had another ministry partner go and entertain them and play music. And as people poured into his office. And that's it, my brothers and sisters. That's it. That's the picture of the good news of Christ right there. That's it, of disadvantaging yourself to, to try to help others. That's it. That's how we try to reach a community. Well, something a little less noble, maybe, something a little less uh, wow factor was a movie we, we offered last night. You know, we offered a movie to the community. We popped free popcorn and, and we uh, set up right there in the baseball field to try to say to our community, we love you and we want you to come. You ready for this? 500 people showed up. It was crazy. It was crazy. Free popcorn in a movie. They came. Why? Why would we show Kung Fu Panda 2 <laughs> to reach a community? To hopefully say, you know what? Not through Kung Fu Panda 2, but there's a Savior named Jesus, and he's worth knowing, and he's worth living for and embracing. So that's what we're trying to do, to build a community, to reach a community. When you look at the book of Ruth and what great opportunities this book has taught us of a value of, of building a community of faith, building a community to reach a community. This, this story, this in four chapters, tells us a story of how God rescues one family. And, and I know that it, it sounds hard to believe, but unbelievably it's true, it's biblically true, that, that through this one family that was rescued, and they went through a lot, through this one family that was rescued, the whole world will be rescued. Because of one family that was rescued, a Savior named Jesus is ultimately coming. And that's how God does his great work, is he, he rescues you and your family, and he, he brings you into the community like this, and, and through us wants to rescue the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Through this one little family, the entire family of the world is transformed. We see in this another beautiful picture that, that a family's brokenness can be transformed to life. I know your stories. I know that a lot of us have brokenness. I, I look around, I see your faces, and I see loss. I see prodigals that haven't come home. I see financial stress. I see the brokenness of your life, and I hope you can see the brokenness of my life because it's there. And the amazing beauty of God is that, that he transforms broken people like us through this gospel and, and he gives us life. And now here's what you really got to hear as we begin, that God brings life in the midst of the brokenness right now, right now. I mean, right now, Jesus has come and he's offered life and life abundantly to the broken. Isn't that good news? Isn't that good news? So we see Ruth, we see a, a beautiful picture of a community uh, being built and restored well, as we reach the final chapter in this epic story, we're introduced to a new character. We're introduced to a new person who's going to take his place on center stage. And he's got a really weird name, not even a name. And he's got a really strange title of what he does. So before we launch into this, what I would like to do is introduce you to this man and introduce you to his title as what is known as a family redeemer or a kinsman redeemer and what that means. If the, if the, uh, if the uh, um, curtains opened on this last chapter 
and it opened up and all of a sudden you see marching to the stage this new character, this family redeemer. You'd say, who is this? And you, you would look at your playbook, your playbill, and you would want to say, who is this guy? What is his name? And you know what it would say there? Mr. So-and-so. Mr. So-and-so is who takes this stage. Isn't it interesting that God's word doesn't even give him a name? Be leery of anybody in the Bible known as so-and-so. Be leery of living a life being known as a so-and-so. Today, God's word has for us a picture of what a so-and-so looks like. What a so-and-so's life is all about. But not only that, this Mr. So-and-so is also called the family redeemer. Or maybe your Bible says kinsman or, or kinsman's redeemer. And what is a redeemer supposed to do? I mean, this is an ancient term for an ancient time. But it's, it's very important for us to understand what this, this Mr. So-and-so was supposed to do. There are four things that in his time, a redeemer was supposed to do for the community around him. Are you ready? Number one was this. This kinsman redeemer, this family redeemer, was supposed to buy or redeem family property that was in foreclosure. Did that hit home close to anybody? How's your mortgage payment going? Well, this, this, this family redeemer was really to look out for family members, those close family members who, who were in such uh, financial straits that, that their property was up for sale, that they were about to lose their family land that's been allotted to them. So this family redeemer is supposed to come alongside and, and invest and buy the land back for them. But there's more than that. This family redeemer, and also this is not listed in your bulletin. This might be helpful for your community group. So you may want to write these down. Um, the second thing this family redeemer does is he buys or redeems family members that were into uh, bondage or slavery. Now, here in America, when we think slavery, we, we have a, a, a sin that has really blotted our country of slavery, um, something that we should repent of and remember. But it's different than the slavery that this Bible is talking about here. This is those people who couldn't pay their bills. Things got so tough that they actually had to sell themselves to their neighbors, to others, to pay off their debts. So this family redeemer was supposed to look and say, I'm not only going to take your land, but I'm also going to make sure that you don't get sold into slavery. I'm, I'm going to front some cash to you. I'm going to be looking out for you so that you don't slip into that bondage of slavery. The third thing, and this is really kind of different for us. The third thing that this family redeemer was supposed to do was to marry any close widows in the family. If a widow, uh, uh, if a brother of yours or a real close relative of yours uh, died and he left a widow, a family redeemer was supposed to do the noble thing. And the noble thing would be for him to step up and to marry this widow. Why? To provide for her an heir, a child. And that was his duty. So the duty was to, to go ahead and marry and provide a family for widows that were close to you. Lastly, the fourth thing is, is a family redeemer was called to avenge the blood of a family member that was murdered. So that's what a family redeemer is supposed to do. So this guy who appears on the stage, his name's Mr. So-and-so. Those are what he's supposed to do. And let me sum it up in a sentence for you. A redeemer is someone who is to act so gospel-centered, so kingdom-centered, that they love mercy. 
that they act justly and they walk humbly before the Lord. This kinsman, this family redeemer, if you want to put it in one sentence, it's this. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Well, why? Why was he asked to do all those things? We're going to see four reasons. One is to keep the family property in the promised land. I mean, it was so important for them to have a piece of what God had promised, the promised land. And so they were to make sure that 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 family land was never lost. Why? Well, obviously to keep the family member out of slavery, to keep them from bondage, to do whatever it took to release them and to set them free. The third thing, to keep the family tree bearing fruit in the promised land. I mean, to keep that tree alive, that family tree alive, that, that name alive in the promised land. And fourthly, it's, it's just to keep God's covenant blessings in the family. All right, now listen. It's basically saying this, that, that we, we can't lose a piece of what God has given us. We, we can't, we gotta make sure the family holds on to this. The family land, the family name, the family tree. We just gotta keep holding on to God's covenant promises. And here's a beautiful call. We together have to make sure that we're loving one another, that we're hanging on to God's blessings together. We're gonna see two types of family redeemers. One who's selfish, one who's selfish and, and looks out just for his own estate. And I'm going to show you, he's wicked. I got to tell you about this family redeemer that's selfish. He feels awfully familiar. I think I see him too often when I look in the mirror. It's a family redeemer who looked out for his own name, looked out for his own estate, looked out for his own stuff. Didn't really love his neighbor as himself. And then we're going to see another family redeemer. His name's Boaz. And he is going to be selfless. He's going to look out for others. He's going, to, he's going to invest that which hurts for the gain of another. And listen, in this contrast between a, a, a family redeemer that's selfish and, and is no good and wicked and a family redeemer who's, who's selfless and righteous, what was really going to emerge, it's going to appear is this, Jesus. So before we go any further, just make sure that you have in your gray matter that, that really this story and every story of the Bible is going to point to Jesus. And this is going to do it so beautifully because it's going to use redemption and redeemer language. And we're going to see in Boaz a beautiful picture of the ultimate redeemer to come. The redeemer named Jesus. We got three things we're going to look at as you want to follow along in your bulletin. The first one is this, the emptiness of selfishness. The emptiness of selfishness. It's really this, those who seek to save their own lives those who seek to save their own reputation, those who seek to build their own kingdom according to Jesus, according to the Bible, they lose it. And then we're going to see the fullness of selflessness. The fullness of selflessness. Those who are willing for the gospel, those who are willing for God's sake to lose their lives, they'll save it. And finally, we'll see the restoration of the redeemed. Let's look again in verses one through eight. 
Uh, verse one, Boaz went to the town gate and took a seat there. Uh, just then a family redeemer that he had mentioned came by. So Joseph or Boaz called to him, come over here and sit down, friend. I want to talk to you. If you remember last Sunday, we left off at the threshing floor, an incredible story. If you haven't listened to it, you may want to go back and listen to it. And let me warn you, there's a little singing in there. It's a little crazy, but no singing today. So today's the day that, that said is there's, there's going to be redemption. And, and Boaz goes to the city gate. And this is, this is the place uh, uh, that would congregate. Well, all the city business would take place. All the official business would be there. And don't you know that in God's hand of providence, that kinsman redeemer, that family redeemer that's in line above Boaz just happens to appear. And he says to him, hey, friend, come over here and take a seat. The New Living Translation really is too kind to him. It's not really friend. Poloni alimony is the Hebrew. Poloni alimony. And it means this. Hey, Mr. So-and-so. Mr. So-and-so, come on over here and take a seat. We'll find out why his name is just so-and-so. Verse 2. Then Boaz called ten leaders from the town and asked them to sit as witnesses. He really got a quorum. I mean, this is, this is going to be some official business. So he, he got a quorum together. Verse 3, And Boaz said to the family redeemer, You know Naomi, who came back from Moab. She is selling the land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. Isn't it interesting? This is the first time that land is mentioned. Not marriage. But Elimelech did own a field. And off in Moab for those 10 years, it fell into disrepair. And not having a son or anybody to take care of it, It was heading toward foreclosure. So Boaz says, there's a field here to buy, a limilex. I thought I should speak to you about it so that you can redeem it if you wish. If you want the land, then buy it here in the presence of these witnesses. But if you don't want it, let me know right away because I'm next in line to redeem it after you. By the way, it was probably a cousin to a limilex. The man replied, all right, I'll redeem it. This Mr. So-and-so, he sees an investment and says, this will be great for me. I'll add this to my portfolio. There seems to be no strings attached. I'll be able to add to my inheritance. I'll be able to add to my name. I'll be able to add to my wealth. I could probably get a great deal for that field right now. It's terribly disrepaired. It's in terrible shape. I'll do it. I'll add for myself. Then Boaz, so tricked so wonderfully crafty, says, oh, by the way, then Boaz told him, of course, you purchased the land from Naomi, also requires that you marry Ruth, and don't forget, she's a Moabite widow. That's why she can have, that way, listen, that way she can have children who will carry on her husband's name and keep the land in the family. Then he replied, I can't redeem it. The family redeemer replied, because this might, listen, listen to this, because this might endanger my own estate. You yourself redeem the land, the Hebrew says. I cannot do it. Now, in those days, it was custom in Israel for anyone transferring a right of purchase to remove his sandal and hand it to the other party. This was basically the notary republic making sure that it's, it's a done deal. This publicly validated the transaction. So the other family redeemer withdrew his sandal and says to Boaz, you buy the land. It's interesting. Did you look through chapter four? Amy did a great job reading it. Do you know how many names are listed in chapter four? I counted them. 21. 
Verses 19 through the end of the chapter is just a list of genealogy. We didn't read it because I have one more sermon to go and I'm going to preach on a list of genealogy. Aren't you excited? I mean, I can't wait for that one, right? That's coming up. I'm telling you, it's amazing what God does. But listen to this. This chapter is a story of names. It's a story of enduring names. It's a story of names that God wants us to remember. But there's one name that's amazingly absent. It's Mr. So-and-so. In all the names that were listed, there's one name that's not going to be recorded. There's one name that's not going to be remembered. There's one name that'll be lost forever. It's Mr. So-and-so. Why? Why would his name be lost? Because he was unwilling to love his neighbor as himself. He was unwilling to buy Naomi's field when he realized it came with a cost. It would affect his bottom line. It would endanger his own estate. Really? Some commentator writers want to give the guy a little break and say, you know what, maybe he was married. And maybe he already had a family. And maybe he already had mouths to feed. And maybe he couldn't come home to his wife and say, hey, honey, good news, I bought a Limelex field. And by the way, meet Mrs. So-and-so as well. Probably wouldn't go over very well. But I want to tell you, I believe God shows us this man and his life as wicked. And I think it's a living testimony what Jesus said. And here's what Jesus says. Whoever wants to save his life, he will lose it. Whoever's primary concern is his own estate, his own well-being, his own 401k, his own stuff, his own reputation, in God's eyes, wickedness. The wickedness of Mr. So-and-so. Do you know that Mr. So-and-so had the audacity in God's eyes to put his own needs above community? Do you know that Mr. So-and-so had the audacity to see his own resources as really his own and not God's? Bruce Walke, one of my favorite professors at Reformed Theological Seminary when I was there, uh, taught a class on Proverbs. And as we studied through the Proverbs, we defined wickedness. And he did a phenomenal job defining wickedness as we saw in the book of Proverbs that repeats itself throughout the Old Testament. You ready for this? Wickedness can be defined as disadvantaging the community to the advantage of themselves. Wickedness can be defined disadvantaging the community at the advantage of themselves. Are you Mr. So-and-so? You know, we live in a culture filled with Mr. So-and-sos that promote Mr. So-and-sos. We naturally are Mr. So-and-sos. We naturally look out for number one. We naturally look out for ourselves. We naturally will always want to defend our own cause, our own name. And God's word says, that's wicked. God's word says that fullness in life come to us from giving, not hoarding. And, and if we're trying to save our own names and we're trying to build our own retirement and our own inheritance and our own kingdom, God's word says we lose it. This one hurt, Orangewood. This one hurt. As I, as I looked into this, I said, oh, no. I'm too much like Mr. So-and-so. I love it when things come along that bless me. Oh, man. I love it when things come along that affect my bottom line. 
But when it comes to things that hurt and things that cost and, and things that will just be for your good and not mine, I don't, I don't know. I, I got to tell you, I, I think that we have the propensity, I really think that we have the propensity to be a church of Mr. So-and-so's. I mean, really, do, do, we, do, we, do we think community over ourselves? I mean, do we think the kingdom of God over the kingdom of self? Do we die to ourselves? Are you a Mr. So-and-so? Well, in verses 9 through 12, we see the fullness of selflessness. The fullness of selflessness. That those who lose their lives for God's sake will save it. Verses 9 through 12. Then Boaz said to the elders of the crowd standing around, you are witnesses today that I have bought for Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Malon. Now listen, I gotta stop. Listen, this is what's gonna happen. There's a transfer of land that's gonna happen. Boaz is gonna get Ruth. But I want you to hear all the ways that Boaz is talking about others. He says, I bought this for Naomi, Elimelech, Kilion, and Malon. And with the land I've required from Ruth, the Moabite of Malon to be my wife, This way she can have a son to carry on the family name of a dead husband and to inherit the family property in his hometown. You are all witnesses today. What an amazing man who gives. Do you get it? Boaz was investing in a land that he would never own, that he was going to give to another. And the elders all said, standing in the gate, we are witnesses. May the Lord make this woman who is coming into your home. And by the way, may the Lord make this wife. She's no longer a Moabite. She's a full Israelite. She's a full child of the king. Come into your home like Rachel and Leah, the two matriarchs of Israel, from whom all the nations of Israel descended. May you prosper. And it goes in verse 12. May the Lord give your descendants by this young woman who will be like our ancestor Perez, the son of Tamar and Judah. In Genesis 38, Tamar comes along. Go read that sometime. It's a crazy story. Tamar is a lot like Ruth. She's a Gentile. And what she does to save the family line, oof, wow. I think what's happening here is God is saying, Boaz, you're just so selflessly giving. Ruth, you're so selflessly giving. I'm going to bless the Jews and the Gentiles through you. And through your family, you will be a blessing to all. You see, when we read through 9 through 12, we see that the fullness of selflessness, that the righteous, righteousness Walkie defines is disadvantaging him or herself for the community. Listen, listen, righteousness And Boaz continually disadvantages himself from the better of the others. I mean, he has Ruth gleaning right in the fields, right there, not on the corners. Just just go pick it. I'm going to feed the poor. Boaz disadvantages himself. He's buying land for Elimelech, a field that's not going to be his, a child who will not be his. It's yield, it's appreciation, all for another. It's crazy. I see the cruises are here again. I, I can't help but point them out. I mean, talk about a righteous family. I'm sorry, I don't mean to embarrass you, but to disadvantage yourself for the betterment of others. Who's crazy enough to do that? Who of you is crazy enough to do that? I mean, it's crazy, isn't it? Boaz is nuts. I mean, who, who invests good, hard-earned money so someone else has a kid, so someone else has a field? 
So someone else has an inheritance. Who in the world, who in their right mind, come on, let's be honest. Who does that stuff? I mean, come on, so-and-so is inside of us who just want to just jump up and say, he's nuts, he's crazy, he's a lunatic. Boaz got tasted a love that was beyond what the world had to offer. Boaz found his identity in his creator. Boaz found his inheritance in God. Boaz found his joy, his life, his love in God. Boaz trusted God. I mean, Boaz was set free. Boaz was not going to let his money identify him. Boaz was not going to let his inheritance be his security. Boaz wasn't going to let his name reign. He wanted to let God's name reign. I mean, Boaz is not going to have a so-and-so life. Boaz had this encounter with God that was so amazing that he was able to give. Have you had that? I mean, have you been so loved? Have you been so set free by the love of Christ that you're, you're able to disadvantage yourself for the betterment of community? Really? God, give me that love. Boaz was so filled, he gave. And you know the crazy thing? As he, beca- as he gave, he became filled. The last verses is the restoration of the redeemed, verses 13 through 17. Boaz took Ruth into his home. She became his wife. When he slept with her, the Lord enabled her to become pregnant. Remember, she had 10 years of barrenness with her first husband, but the Lord enabled her to become pregnant. She gave birth to the son. Isn't it interesting? Twice in the whole book of Ruth, it gives God credit for acting. Twice specifically, it says God did things. In chapter one, verse six, it says God put a field back, a crop back in Bethlehem. He put a seed back in Bethlehem. In the chapter four, it says he put a seed not in, in, in Ruth. Isn't it beautiful? Haven't we seen God work everywhere? Has he not been miraculously working everywhere through chance and through choice? God has been there. But now we see him clearly as he is the one who is going to give a child, this son. Then the woman of the town said, to Naomi, Naomi, isn't it amazing that Ruth, they don't say it too, but Naomi, praise the Lord who has provided a redeemer for your family. Here's the third redeemer, this redeemer. May this child be famous in Israel and oh, his line will be. And may he restore your youth and care for you in your old age. Start picturing Jesus. For he is the son of your daughter-in-law who loves you and has been better to you than seven sons. Naomi took her redeemer into her arms, the baby, and cuddled him to her breast. And she cared for him as if he were her own. And then the first time in the Bible, the neighbor women named the child. Now the neighbor woman said, now at last Naomi has a son again. And they named him Obed. He became the father of Jesse and the grandfather of David. This whole book of Ruth is going to point us to a righteous king. And the righteous king is named David. But it's really going to point us to a greater king named Jesus. You see, the gospel is good news of what Jesus has done for us as our redeemer. Listen, just tone back in if you've missed it. Listen, the gospel is good news of what Jesus has done for us as our redeemer. You see, Jesus is our family redeemer. He secures our place in the promised land. What our, G, what our Redeemer has done. Well, Jesus has secured for us that our name, that your name, my name, listen, it can be written in the book of life. Jesus has secured that our place is secure in the family tree. Jesus avenges all the wrongs that have done for us. Jesus, the one who is most righteous, disadvantaged himself for you and for me, for community. How did our Redeemer do it? 
Well, he impoverished himself for our poverty. He stripped himself for our nakedness. He punished, he was punished for our iniquity. He was banished for our shame. He bled for our redemption. He was pierced for our rescue. He was crushed for our adoption. He died for our death sentence. He was abandoned for our gathering. He was resurrected for our life. Jesus. Our sandal. Our sign and seal of redemption is this meal. This is a story. This is God's notary of authenticity to remind us what Jesus has done. How Jesus rescues us. How he impoverished himself. Emptied himself so that we could be filled. This is a meal that strengthens us so we don't have to be so-and-sos. We don't have to be so-and-sos. We can be those like Boaz, redeemers to advance Christ's kingdom. Let us pray. Father God, I live my life typically, usually as a so-and-so. I'm so naturally interested in my own self, in my own kingdom, my own retirement, my own paycheck, my own lawn, my own house, my own name. And I don't understand your love because while we were so-and-sos, you sent your son to come and rescue us. The ultimate redeemer. God, we thank you for Boaz. We thank you for one who would impoverish himself, who would disadvantage himself for the betterment of community. We thank you for Boaz, but God, Boaz just points to a greater redeemer named Jesus. Jesus, you loved us so-and-sos so that we could have a name that endures, your name. Father, we ask that the spirit of Jesus would come and that you would feed us and empower us and, and God, give us strength to live the life that you're calling us to. This, we so often want to save our lives and we lose it. God, today, today, may this church, may this preacher kneel before you and say, I want to lose my life to you and find it. Thank you for a love that gives so that we could give to. Come and feed us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.